if you're like me, you want to get your business ahead, but there's certain skills you need, but you just don't have. If this sounds like you, then you need to head over to Fiverr. They have a whole array of professionals that can help you in different areas from design to writing, marketing, and more. They have you covered. I seriously can't tell you how much Fiverr.com has helped me along with this podcast. Um, I've used them so much for this podcast. It's been unreal. They make my flyers. They go ahead and um, I hired this guy to help me upload the each episode and in the beginning in order for me to be all over the place it was I was totally going on Fiverr it was I seriously just it's I've gotten so much for my business through them so please use my link which you can find in the description of this episode or you can go to marcellaalonzo.com and book there through Fiverr today you'll be glad you did Hello, and welcome to Get Schooled with Marcella Alonzo. Today, I have the lovely Joel Marcel. Welcome. Thank you for coming on. I am so, so very happy to have you here today. Uh, I would love for you to introduce yourself and share who you are and how you got started into the adult industry. Of course. Thank you for having me, Marcella. My name is Jewel Marceau, and I am a industry veteran of 28 years. I started my career in 1996, and I started in Los Angeles as a fetish model, and I was doing mostly fetish and bondage modeling, and I did porn too. Uh, lesbian porn. Uh, I didn't do anything beyond lesbian porn. Uh, I like the ladies, must say. Um, mm-hmm. I can't deny that. So uh, that was really fun for me. And in the 90s, I worked so much. And it was a really good time to get into the adult industry. Uh, the internet was just starting to become really popular. Uh, I didn't really know that this was such a great time to enter the adult business. And uh, so I just worked all the time. I became popular really, really fast. And I uh, didn't say no to work. I was definitely very diligent and a hard worker. Uh, So I took every job that uh, asked me to appear and mostly they were fetish and bondage jobs. So I became a really famous uh, bondage model, actually, and I really enjoyed it. It tested my endurance. It tested my flexibility and uh, also my um, mental ability to combine body awareness as as well as mental awareness because being a bondage model is is really hard especially some of the things that I did were actually dangerous and uh, risky and I liked taking those risks it was quite an adrenaline rush and uh, I consider myself to be sort of like a sexy stunt woman Uh, I did some really cool stuff that I'm very proud of and then I evolved, you know, I got older. And so uh, I decided that um, I wanted to reinvent myself. Also, the industry changed. And as the industry changed, my customer base changed. And what I mean by that is the uh, customers who were ordering uh, videos and submitting custom scripts and that type of thing, it just was changing to a more, a really edgier style. Uh, they were requesting more of a, um, like, to me, it was like a degradation of women instead of uh, being tied up and being celebrated for your beauty or admired for being this captured damsel. It was more of like, you know, tie her up, capture her and uh, let's dismantle her beauty and dismantle her feminism and uh 
and just make her worthless. And those kind of scripts and those kind of producers that were wanting to produce that kind of content, it really began to get to me uh, Mm -hmm. mentally. And I was leaving shoots, I recall feeling not good about myself. And so I believe that this was heavily influenced by the success of kink.com. You know, they were producing a lot of content like that and they became extremely successful. And so a lot of producers, amateur producers, um, even uh, midway producers were kind of, you know, copying them. And that makes sense because they were successful, Uh, but I just couldn't handle it. Um, It it just wasn't for me. And also I had acquired so many skills from being a bondage model. I was, I was double and triple booked like every week. So I was being tied up and untied and tied up and untied over and over and over. And so by way of this, I learned how to tie rope by watching myself being tied and going through that process. So um, I was invited to be on a double dom session with the uh, very famous mistress Isabella Sinclair. That was my first double session. And her and I did a series of very famous uh, videos called the Ivy Manor series. And that contributed to my success and popularity uh, very quickly. I'm very grateful for that. Uh, So when she invited me for this double session, uh, of course, I said yes. And we did the session together. And after it was over, I thought, huh, well, I could do this. Like, this <laughs> is really easy. And I wasn't intimidated and I felt very in control. But I had also been dobbing on camera. Uh, I had been doming men and women on camera since the 90s as well. But it's a very different element doing it in person because, you know, it, you can't say cut, you can't do a retake. So you really have to be seamless uh, with your flow or else you really can kind of ruin the moment for a client. Um, But I learned a lot from Isabella and she was a really great uh, mentor and teacher. Um, She may not have known she was my mentor and teacher, (laughs) but uh, I watched her uh, constantly and I, I learned a lot, mostly from her in the beginning stages so I decided, I, I thought, well, you know, I'm a really famous video star. Uh, why not offer private domination sessions to my fans so that they can actually experience what I do in video in, in real life and just uh, expand uh, my repertoire? And so I began doing that about 15 years ago, and it... Uh, It went great. Uh, I actually began doing it on my own and Mm -hmm. I just pretended like there was a camera in the room because I am very much used to being in front of the camera. Uh, I'm a model, I'm a performer, and I'm, I'm used to modeling and posing and performing. So um, doing sessions that really helped me um, thinking in that way uh, that that, there was a camera in the room. So I just kind of performed and and as a performer I don't like to do retakes like I want to go right through I want to do it right the first time so I can go home (laughs) (laughs) so uh so that's kind of how I transitioned into being a pro dom and uh the response was great uh my fans were super excited and I got a lot of uh requests and I still do today. So um, yeah, it's been a really great transition. And I also wanted to transition this way because, um, you know, the adult industry began to cultivate a lot of amateur producers, Mm. who, especially with the advancement of technology, you know, we used to shoot with these big, gigantic cameras, right, that were super heavy. And, you know, we used to shoot onto VHS, and it used to be so complicated. And then it was DV tapes. And, you know, now we can use our phones. Uh, So um, I uh, decided that um, I um, was going to shoot... I lost my train of thought. (laughs) 
now I'm being a human being. So I'm being a human being. Um, That's okay. We all do it. I do it all the time. I'll, I'll forget my train of thought as well. Yeah. So, but we, uh, we tra- you basically transition with the new technology. I pick it. I, I just picked it back up in my little brain. Um, <laughs> so, um, so the amateur photographer, I didn't feel safe with them yeah. um, because they weren't professionals. Um, they weren't coming from a big company. And uh, a lot of times, like they weren't respecting my limitations. They mm-hmm. weren't um, listening to me when I said, you know, please don't do this. Um, you know, I need to be um, untied right now. Um you know, my hands are numb. Like I, I was being touched when I wasn't supposed to be touched. So I, I didn't feel safe anymore. So transitioning into being a pro dom, I felt safer in that way, because I know that I'm responsible. I know that I'm on time. I know that I'm sober. And I know that um, safety is a big issue for me. Uh, I was actually injured very uh, severely in um, the year 2005. Uh, I was paralyzed, yes, from a uh, bondage suspension tie in San Francisco by a producer who's no longer in business. And it uh, resulted in a lawsuit. That was a three-year claim. And that was super stressful. And so my Mm. arm was paralyzed for three months. uh, And it wasn't just numbness. You know, I hear a lot of people complain about that, but like my arm literally couldn't move. Like it hung off of my my hand hung off of my arm like a dead piece of meat oh man for months and so yeah the neurologist told me that uh I may never regain the use of my hand again I was only 25 terrified I mean I was like this is going to change the trajectory of my uh, trajectory of my life forever if I do not file a claim ah I mean, I could really just be screwed. Um, So I did. Um, But anyway, that experience has lasted um, for a lifetime. Uh, Luckily, I was young and healthy and I recovered. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's serious. And as someone who's in charge, I never want to hurt someone ever. And so um, I've taught classes about bondage. And I always speak about this experience that injuries are very real And when you come together and you play as a top and as a bottom, I mean, you're responsible, you know, for what happens, um, especially as a top, but you're also responsible as a bottom, like communication is extremely important. Um, So, you know, both parties are responsible. Uh, So when that occurred, uh, the producer stopped answering my phone calls. Oh, she, you know, suddenly disappeared and was not supporting me. And like, you know, with with not having a hand that works, I mean, I was a performer. And at the time, I was also a stripper. And like, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't work. And she told me she was going to help me with uh, my finances, you know, like I had to earn money. Um, And I gave her a list of all of my expenses. And she said that she was going to help me. And then she stopped answering the phone. So um, for all of these reasons, I have uh, transitioned into being a pro-dom because I feel um, that safety is like the top priority. Like I always talk about safety and injury and how important that is in communication. Like all of those things are super important to me. And if I'm in control, uh, whether it is a pro-dom session or even if it's a a shoot in which I'm tying a... Um, a a female bottom, a male bottom, you know, non-binary, any, anyone. Um, It's so important that I do not hurt that person. Yes, that's vital. Yeah, it's, I, I think that I would just be devastated, absolutely devastated. And so I very rarely do suspensions on clients. Uh, I do do them, I will do them, and I can do them safely, um, but I usually have them sign a waiver, mm-hmm. and uh, I won't do it on the first session. It will be, you know, after a few sessions that I've gotten to know this person, and I've gotten to know their um, responses to certain bondage positions, and how they respond to um 
me and uh, my voice and my direction, um, but also their sustainability in certain positions, um, how they're breathing, how they're moving, uh, and if and their size, quite frankly, um, yeah. I, you know, I'm not a large woman. Um, people think that I'm tall because I'm wearing heels all the time, but I'm actually not very tall. And, uh, as much as I exercise and I lift weights, you know, there's only so much weight that I can support. So I prefer to suspend some, you know, uh, someone who's smaller on the smaller size, mm-hmm. you know, if a client is, is very large, um, you know, I, I probably wouldn't use rope, you know, I might use some kind of a cage or, or cuffs, or I, I'd really think about that very carefully, or maybe try to dissuade that person, because there's a lot of risk involved. And it's good that you're honest with your clients instead of saying, okay, let's do it. Because so many newbie sex workers, they think they don't, they need to take the time for the education for BDSM. Altogether, and especially if they're going to perform, you know, perform and evaluate the situation and be able to say no, like, you know, I'm sorry, I don't feel comfortable. Yes, absolutely. In that situation, absolutely, it's it's important to take your time. It's important to learn. It's important to have the mindset that you may not always be right, and that's really difficult with dominas. That's, that can be really difficult with, with dominatrixes because, you know, there's this idea that we're in control, we're in, we're powerful and, and we are, we're powerful women, but that we're always right. And we're not always right. And, uh, you know, as an individual, as a human being, it's really important to take that on when you're learning as, as a new up and coming dominatrix, uh, because, this is super serious. Like people really can get injured. And I have to say also what I've noticed from my experience is there is, you know, it's mindset and sometimes mindsets are not often helpful. And so to have the mindset also, I've heard this from Domin is like, I would never be submissive. That is totally beneath me. I would never do that. And I am always dominant. And, you know, I will share right now that my experience as a bondage model lent itself 1 million percent to me being a a better dominatrix, like in utmost better, safer, more educated uh, dominatrix, because I understand what that person's going through. I can understand when they're fucking with me like when they're just complaining and they're you know (laughs) being sassy yes when when nothing's really really all that wrong and they're just uh you know um complaining um for really no reason or um or maybe they don't understand that you know if you just move just a little few inches this way you know then it'll release the pressure you know in this on your wrists or this area so you know i'm able to be a lot more directive in, in a safer way um, and I'm also able to identify when there is a client who I also really don't like this um, when a client or even a performer, if we're doing a shoot, who really wants to impress me. And, and I appreciate that, but they want to please me. They want to impress me. So they will try to sustain the uh, bondage position, or it may be a gag, or it may be breath play. And they are trying to sustain it in order to please me. However, it's, it's injuring them or oh. it's putting them in a bad place. Mm-hmm. And, um, this has happened many times. And, and I will say this, that it does not impress me at all. If you push yourself really hard to stay in that position, just to please me, that's not impressive at all. Um, I need people to be honest with me. Um, however, I'm aware of this dynamic. So I've had performers that I've had like in a super strict hog tie, arms behind their back, you know, on the floor, elbows like cinched up to the ceiling and, you know, tape gags so they can't talk. 
and I'll look at them and I, you know, if we, the camera cuts and I'll say, um, are you okay? And if they're like panting and you can hear the breath, like breathing on the tape and their eyes are like this and like, they're, <laughs> almost, they're almost crying, but they're yeah. saying, yes, I'm okay. I'm like, no, you're not okay. Let's take it out. Let's take it down. That's no, you're, you're almost not okay. And so then I have to call it because um, that kind of reaction is not what I want. That kind of reaction is like right on the very edge of injury. And mm. so, um, you know, it's very important for new dominas to be able to identify these things because human beings are complex. Human beings are complicated and, um, you know, they're not always honest or they don't always know how to be honest. And it's like this, this thing that I'm talking about, about wanting to please me so desperately. It's like, I, I appreciate it. And there's like this element that they're kind of not being honest, but they really want to please me. And I, and I get that, but it's just, it's important to have the skill where I could call it out. Uh, and so other uh, dominas who are, who are learning, um, you know, it is, it is, there's nothing wrong with experimenting right. and being like, you know, I'm dominant, but you know, let me try it. Let me see what it feels like. Like there's no shame in that. And right. I hear a lot of language and a lot of dialogue from new dominatrixes or dominas I have, I haven't met before at events and they're just like, Oh, no way. That's so beneath me. And, and I'm like, you know, there's just, there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, it's quite educational. Uh, so, you know, well, that's how certain, um, houses, they do have that, uh, is it the European style where they start the, the, the person off as submissive before they do, um, to trick for the training. Right. Is it, yeah. is it called European style? I forgot what it's called. My brain. Um, yes, I think that it is the traditional European style of uh, training. I obviously didn't go through that style, but sort of I um, did in a way that was kind of on TV, you know? Um, yeah. I, I did that sort of training, but it was just um, recorded. Uh, it wasn't in-house. Um, it wasn't private. Uh, so, you know, so the um, the element of, you know, doing it live was missing for me. And mm. so, you know, I had to, d- to develop that kind of comfort in doing things live because I was very used to being able to say, I need a break. I need to cut. Um, hold on a minute. Can you? <laughs> scratch my nose, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, but that is an easier thing to get used to than, um, learning these skills that I'm talking about right now, Right. actually. So, yeah, it's, these are, these are very important things to think about when, when you're, when you're learning. So, um, I, I would really like to eliminate the stigma of it being, you know, oh, that's, shameful or oh that's beneath me and and you know honestly you could do it in private like nobody has to actually know right or work with another dom to see so you for the education purpose like you said yeah exactly it doesn't have to be um posted on twitter you know right right to know about it um and you can do it with someone that you trust but i would highly recommend uh doing it just so you can see what it feels like um, even just the basics, because I know not everybody's flexible and some people have um, limitations with their body or, you know, certain muscular injuries or things like that. But um, just just even the basics to understand uh, what people are going through mentally, um, to understand, you know, how people should communicate or how you would like them to communicate if you were dominating that person like if you're if you put yourself in that position it just you know feeds you so much information into your brain um to what it's to be like on the other side on on the on the bottom um i just think it's tremendously helpful uh, priceless uh information yeah so education is, I feel like would BDSM is very, very important, but 
Um, the unfortunate thing, it is kind of hard for people to find proper education in certain cities because now of everything, it's just a hard to get visibility, you know? It is hard. Um, yeah. I, I, it is. Um, I, I would be open to teaching more people. Um, but what I find um, is that I'm surrounded by a lot of porn stars, which are great. And, and they don't really want to learn. I, I think, you know, like I kind of touched on it earlier. I feel like I run into a lot of performers that feel like they already know it all. Mm. and um you know <clears throat> one skill like um rope bond, being able to tie rope bondage and there, there's a lot of clients who like that's their niche that's their yeah thing that is rope and um it's not easy it, no it's, it's not easy so it takes a lot of practice it takes a lot of repetition to be able to tie ropes correctly and properly and uh, I don't think that I would be as good of a dominatrix had I not been a bottom first. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. For sure, I wouldn't be able to tie ropes as well as I do or suspend uh, men in the air. Oh, no. gosh. <laughs> yeah, no way. I wouldn't have been able to do it had I not been through the process myself. Right, right. Um, before it got bad when you were filming... Did you ever really, and I know you had that bad incident, but um, when you were doing it, did you ever imagine that, oh, I'm going to eventually see people? Like, how was that transition initially? Like, how did you feel about that transition, seeing people in person? Like, did you find the screening process, for instance, really hard? Were you, um, you know, you were accustomed to getting booked all the time, but now how was that transition? I should say how do I get booked now? That marketing aspect, like how am I going to make money from here? Or did just the popularity would came? Well, to be honest, it was pretty easy. It was pretty uh, so, yeah, I really had a pretty big following already. And I okay. think that when I began to offer sessions, people were just like, yay. Um, um, but also that was like in the early 2000s. And uh so the um, advertisement platforms were also in place that were really effective. And so, I mean, I was, I would tour and I would go, um, I was also living partly in London. So I had an apartment in London too. So I was doing tours in Europe and, oh, wow. um, you know, I, I was, I had my own DVD production company. So I was marketing my DVDs and I was doing a lot of the big events in Europe that were, are like AVN, but they're European based like, uh, Venus fair. Um, and, um, uh, there's another one in the UK, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to say it incorrectly. Um, I don't remember the name of it, so I'm not going to, it's erotic something. <sighs> um, so I was able to tour like all over the place and right. I, you know, I got a lot of great responses. Um, my distributor was in Amsterdam, so I oh, had okay. you know, connections there and um, yeah, it was great. So I, I was doing really well. Um but I mean, honestly, things are harder for me now. Ironically, they're harder for me now um, because the advertisement platforms have been have disappeared. They've been eliminated. Oh, yes. uh, the censorship is worse. Um, there's a lot more women who are doing this now, so there's a lot more competition um, and saturation in the yep. market. So it, yeah, it's a lot harder for me now, ironically, which is really frustrating because I have more experience now. So the transition at that time was really great. It was a good, it was a good point time when you did transition, basically, and you had at that time social media or it just everything was in place. Yeah, I had social media. Backpage was still being used, and Backpage was a super great resource. Oh yeah, Backpage was awesome. Right. Yeah, and I used it all the time, and I, you know, was able to tour everywhere and always get bookings. And so now, um, I'm really hesitant to tour because I I've toured before, and um, 
sometimes I've gone to cities and I've come back and, um, you know, either broke even and a couple of times I've been in the hole and I'm just like, this is not the way it's supposed to go. And I feel like, um, Customers, for me, my experience have become more flaky. Um, they have become less respectful. And yeah, they um, do not address me with respect. Um, yeah, it's really, really changed. And I've, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Uh, you know, clients used to arrive uh, with gifts and uh, they really looked up to me and regarded me as, as a goddess and respected me. Uh, and now they just treat me like an object. They just treat me, not all of them, right. but a lot of them. And uh, I really think it's due to um, too much accessibility, way too much accessibility. Um, this is my opinion mm-hmm. uh, with all the social media platforms. And um, I'm I'm really kind of feeling like I'm at a conundrum with with that because I feel like I'm giving out way too much free content. Uh, customers have way too much access to me. Um, Whereas they didn't before. And when I just had like one website, I did clips for sale and I had email. I just started Twitter. Like that was good. That was really good. That was enough. Um, but now it's it's just too much. They have access to me everywhere, all over the place. And um, it's just, it's too easy. It's too easy to access me. I, I felt, I, I'm glad you shared this because I've been feeling this. And then sometimes I talk to people and they're like, oh, like they treat me kind of crazy when I say this, but I have noticed the same thing. And I thought, like I shared with you earlier, I moved from LA to New York and it was just, things were different. This was before the pandemic. After the pandemic, it's a little bit crazy. And my my social media, the, like I used to receive gifts and I had a wish list. And I would, I remember I had a guy one time buy me a TV, like, and I never even met him, you know, buy me a big, huge TV. And I've noticed the same decline. And, um, and I, I think it's, it's just, there's a lot of stuff out there and there's a lot of people out there. And um, I've had to warn even I had a, a fan of mine that was into something. I think you're in the chat group that I sent. And I had to tell him, no, 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 be careful. Because I was so worried about, um, this is somebody that I talked to online and he was sharing a particular fetish with me. I was really worried about his safety. And I, um, I, I, I didn't want him to, and it wasn't me trying to be, no, I don't want you to see anybody else. You know, I only saw, only deal with him online. It was, I really truly cared about his safety and I wanted to point him at the right direction so he can enjoy himself and be, and I wanted to feel him to be safe. Cause I sort of have a mother, motherly, you know, a lot of dogs were really nurtured, nurturing people, but I was so worried. And that's why I was like, Oh my gosh, let me refer him to the right people. You know what I'm saying? Um, because I truly honestly, was worried. And, you know, here I am, I'm the sex worker. This is the client. I'm worried about him and I want him in proper hands so he can enjoy himself. So I know he won't be injured. And because anybody is saying, oh yeah, I can do that. Oh yeah, that's no problem. I can do that. Um, If somebody was to come to me today and say, you know, I, I want to be tied up or this or what, you know, and they ask for something extreme, I would refer them out purposely because they're, and I'm going to be honest with them because I'm kind of been out of the loop for a couple of years. And I, I know a lot of sex workers are not going to be like that. They're not going to be that bold and care. And, and it's, it's kind of a shame. Um, we're human beings, which should, we should care about each other we should look out for each other and, and, and safety is number one. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a very sad thing. And nobody really, really knows that a lot of doms are very, there's a nurturing aspect. 
that comes yes yes absolutely uh there is and that should come um above and and before um finances and money yeah yeah earning you know um safety and care should really come before that and i think um desperate people do desperate things and and that's scary you know and so for you to um you know, direct your client to people who you believe are safe, um, is, is really good and, and kind, uh, it's the right thing to do. Really. Yeah. No, I was like, he was this, this person was sharing with me and they were talking to somebody and, and again, I didn't want to be a hater. I'm not being a hater. And they're expressing to me. I like this. I don't even want to really show the fetish because I want to give him his privacy. Um, but I right away was like, nope, nope. Let me send you where you need to go. Yeah. (laughs) I have no shame in my game. I will gladly do that. And I will refer somebody that comes to me with a particular fetish that is seeking something. And I will rather point them the right direction than, you know what I'm saying? Take their money and bring it. And I just feel like the importance of BDS education, I, it's so vital. It's so vital, especially with bondage. It's so hard because um, you can get scammed. I mean, it's really easy. And, you know, these ladies are very beautiful and they're tempting and, you know, they're attractive and and they may have the look that you want. But just because they have the look that you want doesn't mean that they have the skill set that you want or that the client may want. And so, I mean, it's really important to review these ladies that clients might be choosing as, as a dominatrix, especially, you know, for their very first time um, to look at their, you know, websites, to make sure that it's professional, to look at their history, to look at their tweets, to, you know, try to see and identify their work. And also, um, you know, I think it's fair that clients uh, could ask for referrals or, or look um, to see who those dominas are working with. I think that that's validating to see, you know, if they're working with other very well-known doms, that that would be validating to their experience level. Um, but if you're going to choose a, a dominatrix just because she's hot, I mean, that could be risky uh, if you don't investigate uh, her skill set, uh, her history, uh, maybe what she's the content she's posting on her Twitter, um, her clips for sale. Uh, you know, does she have what you're looking for? Um, you know, also, you know, communicate, um, look at uh, her um application process and and if she doesn't have an application um you know um at the moment I don't have an application <laughs> so I'm screening people through email so I um I'm going through some transitional stages with with my website and so that takes time however um you know my my body of history is like 28 years old so I think that speaks volumes um but it's, yeah, it, it can really ruin a client's um, perception of what BDSM is if they choose the wrong person um, and it can really turn them off. Um, they can get ripped off, you know, actually. Yeah. And, and I, I'm more worried about like with that particular situation, I was really worried about his safety and him going to the wrong person. Yeah. And, and that was... Um, like I said, this was somebody that I just talked to online and a lot of times like online, because I'm very open-minded and I have the history I have with sex work, they will share things with me and I'm open to listening. And um, they expressed, they said, oh, I was going to go over here or whatever. I said, hold on, hold on. No, no, no. You know what I'm saying? So I, I'm, so any listeners listening, take note to what Jewel is saying. 
Yeah, I I mean, or else you you may get burned. And, yeah. and I say this because I've had clients come to me and and complain and tell me their experiences, and I feel so bad for them. And you know, it's time wasted, it's money wasted, and depending on how bad the experience is, I mean, it could turn them off from BDSM totally. Um, and you know, that's not good. And that's not what we want. Um, I definitely want to encourage and provide a positive experience for people. And so it just, it takes some investment in, in, um, researching, you know, it's, you, you have to do it because there are so many people trying to do this now that just don't have the experience level and don't have the education because it's, again, it's just too accessible technology. Yeah. Now you can pick up your phone and just do it. Um, you know, you can build a, a website for pretty much for free. You can post content like you, you, you can, it's just, it's so easy for um, anybody to do it, but that doesn't mean that they should be doing it. Right, right. No, no. And especially if somebody's going to see anybody in person, they need to be cautious. Or if they're playing, if if let's say they are in a relationship and they do want to play, um, they are in the lifestyle, They it would be good to try getting some education so they don't hurt their partner either. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, you want someone who is uh, going to listen, um, you know, and be discreet. Uh, you know, all those things are, are really important um, for both parties, I think. Yeah. So, so yeah. I have a question now because I'm being nosy. <laughs> I, I really want to know how it is working in Europe versus America, because I didn't know that about you. I didn't know you were in London. Yeah, I lived in London for seven years, actually. Wow. Um, yeah, so that was pretty cool. Um, so uh, I um, I was married for a while to a really cool guy who um, mm-hmm. was in the adult industry, and he was just so cool, and he was so supportive of my career and doing anything that I wanted to do, and uh, so he owned a bar in in Hackney in London and I would often take my clients to the (laughs) bar and have them buy me drinks at my husband's bar it was amazing it was so cool um and I'd often get recognized um walking around uh we lived in Broadway Market like around London Fields which is a park and so you just do a lot of walking in Europe um but uh so yeah that was really cool so the difference um is well you earn more because the currency's higher you what? know the pound is higher um you know so i would charge the same rate you know mm-hmm. but in pounds or in euros uh so that was cool and um so was there a difference in clients um i think that my clients, I think that there was a difference in clients, actually. I think that they were more excited to see me and more respectful and just um, treated me like a goddess because, well, I was from America and I was someone that they didn't get to access very easily because, you know, I I still kept my apartment in LA too. So Mm -hmm. I was like six months in London um, and Europe because I would kind of hop, skip and jump all over the place. And then I'd be six months in LA, also domestically hop, skipping and jumping around the States. So I was a personality that they, you know, just didn't have access to. So that, that was really great. So I got a a lot of clients and a a lot of, uh, um, visibility, a lot of attention. Um, but it was difficult in the sense that, you know, public transit, you got to use public transit. And so, um, I would rent dungeons in various places. Um, you know, I did have, uh, 
dominant girlfriends who, uh, you know, showed me places to go. Um, there was even one like walking distance, a beautiful dungeon walking distance from my flat in Hackney. And so I, uh, was, I loved it. It was great. Um, but the, but walking was good. And so, mm-hmm. but the thing is, is that I, I just, and that place looked like a museum. I mean, it was like a BDSM museum. So wow. I've never seen a dungeon so beautiful ever in my whole entire life, except for that one that was, yeah, right there in, in Hackney. Um, still to this day, I've never seen one so beautiful. And I don't know if it's still around, um, but uh, otherwise, I'd have to lug all of my like BDSM gear, like on the bus or on the, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and that was really hard. Cause I'm, I'm used to driving. I'm used to being in a car and being able to throw my stuff in the trunk. Um, now I have my own play space. And so that's really great. But before I was in this location, uh, I didn't. And so I rented local spaces in, in Los Angeles. And, and I know that most dungeons are fully equipped. However, I like to use my own rope. You know, it's cut the way that I want it. It's familiar to me and I'm used to it. Uh, I also like to bring some of my favorite toys because they're, they are my favorite toys. Uh, sometimes clients want me to wear certain things or change outfits or request certain boots. And these things I got to put in a suitcase and I've got to take it with me and it's heavy. So I didn't like getting on the tube and the bus and the train. Slipping across the, the city. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that wasn't crazy. I wasn't crazy about that. And then, mm-hmm. of course, you know, the weather, you know, changing and, and things like that. Uh, but, um, also I didn't have to, I, I didn't feel as worried about, um, like being arrested or, you know, getting into any kind of uh, legal trouble, um, you know, especially in like Amsterdam or Germany, um, you know, I had a lot less fear about, um, you know, being um, recognized by any kind of law enforcement or being targeted in that way. Uh, I definitely remember that being more comfortable for mm-hmm. me. More freedom. Yeah, yes, I definitely felt more comfortable in that regard than in being in the States. I definitely feel very, um, well, like I've got to be on guard and and be careful. Uh, So that was also a difference of like being in Europe because Europeans are more, they're, they're kinky, they're dirty, they're dirty minded. So, um, you know, that's great. I just imagine in Europe, it just being like, so open and free, like, (laughs) yeah, it was, it was a lot more open and and free. Um, I, I think um, they had different kinks and and fetishes. Uh, You know, I remember being in the UK, and it was, uh, you know, a lot of, um, like, Max and raincoats and rubber and like latex and uh, fashion that kind of kink. And I must admit that most of my wardrobe, my latex wardrobe has come from Europe, uh, not the States. So I did a lot of shopping and collecting my coveted wardrobe that I love and adore, um, mostly from the UK and and Germany. So yeah, they're really great at at putting out uh, fashion. There is a lot of new up and coming um, latex designers, though, since then, like I left the UK in 2014. Mm -hmm. So since then, I mean, there's been a lot of designers that have come up um, even in the United States that are extremely talented. Um, but at that time, yeah, it was, uh, I, I think they, they were mostly located in the UK. So they had those kinks, you know, the, the rubber and the fetish and the caning, the corporal, the corporal punishment. And then, you know, in Germany, I, I think they're just a lot more dirty in the way of like, you know, kind of, <laughs> Uh, toilet training and uh, yeah. Just... Oh, I've heard about that. I think it was. Ger- oh, yeah, yeah. A friend of mine told me something, and I have a weak stomach, and <laughs> I start gagging. And I was like, they couldn't even finish what they were saying. Oh, I was like, ah. 
I just started gagging. Yeah. And I was out of Germany. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was great. Um, Either a lot more liberal and that also translated in the distribution of my videos uh, because there were certain things that I'd have to edit out for the United States, but um, for DVDs that got distributed in Europe and in um, sex stores in, in the European market, it was not a problem. <laughs> no, wow. It also, yeah. And so my DVDs that did go to Europe for distribution, they had a special stamp on the spine of the DVD that indicated that it was a European uh, um, made or um, manufactured DVD. I think it was called GUFA, G-U-F-A. I'm not sure what that stands for, but it indicated that it was not from the United States. So, um, yeah, so I was able to keep some of that dirty, kinky stuff. Also, like the fisting, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's just it's a lot more strict in the United States. So those were the differences that I noticed as far as like um, pro dom sessions. But also I was also shooting, too. I was still making videos over there. Um, I brought all my camera equipment. And so I would shoot videos there and then I would bring it back to L.A. and edit it and then send it to my webmaster in Seattle. Oh, wow. So in a way, you've been doing customs for many, many years. Oh, yes. Yes, uh, for sure. I started doing customs like as soon as people started asking me. And I know that was like super What year was that when you started doing customs? Well, so I launched my website in, uh, in the year 2000, I believe. And it was just like the, uh, the next year. I mean, as soon as the website launched, people started asking me and I just, I had done so much shooting, uh, for so many production companies. I really felt, I don't know, the, the thought occurred to me in my mind, I can do this. I can do this too. And so when someone asked for a custom, I was like, yeah, let me do it. You know, um, so I started doing customs right after my website launched. Yeah. In 2000. And um, and then I just kept doing them because all of my uh, female colleagues that were fetish models who were also doing um, they were doing production. They were uh writing their own scripts and they were shooting their own ideas. And, and I did that too, uh, because, um, I had, I had money at that time. I, mm-hmm. I, could, I could finance my own scripts and I could hire my own people, but I also did customs too. Um, because none of my other colleagues wanted to do them. They were like, screw that. I don't, I don't want to do, I don't want to do what someone else is asking to do. I want to do my own idea. I want right. to do it. And but I was like, man, this is just so money on the table. There's so many requests. There's yeah. so many, many requests. And, and, and I would just listen to my girlfriends complain like, ah, and you're like that. sweeping up the money. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I'll, I'll do it. But it wasn't too, too many years later that, uh, you know, they started catching on. I think, uh... you know, I mean, the DVD market was going to die. It was just, you know, it was going to happen and and it did. So, uh, you know, those colleagues who were just like, oh, no, I'm going to do my own thing. um, They eventually caught on and started doing the custom thing because um, it was more um, consistent, you know, um, and these customers wanted it. And then it provided us content to be able to um, upload and distribute to other sources to to earn money. So it wasn't long where they they also jumped on the bandwagon. But um, at first, yeah, it was it was just me. Have you seen the money decline through the years? Because I've noticed um, through the years, I've kind of seen as more and more sex work has been sensationalized. I've noticed like, kind of a decrease in money. And I feel like, I personally feel like even with my OnlyFans, I remember I got on in 2018, just like, what is this? I don't know, whatever. And it was easy to work. And now it has become like this because so many people came on with the sensationalizing, the prices are chopped in half. The, it's, it's like things are just getting cheaper and cheaper, but then our bills are getting higher and higher. 
Oh, yes. You took the words right out of my (laughs) mouth. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely feel that. And thank you for saying that out loud because um, it's stressful to recognize that for us as performers and this being our full-time job and our lifelong career, you know, both of us. And so it's very, it, it can be disheartening and I try not to let it bring me down, um, or discourage me, you know, uh, but yes, I have definitely identified that. And, um, be, you know, again, it's the saturation, this, yeah. this, this being sen- sensationalized. And I, I don't know how to prevent that except to just really have a, a strong brand to, if you can, you know, yeah. find, find a niche that's unique, um, those things really help. Um, but you know, I, I, I've created my character, Joel Marceau to be what it is. And I, I'm thinking now about how I can possibly reinvent myself now, you know, 20, 28 years later, because, um, you know, reinventing yourself is another way to try to, uh, drum up more, more income and, and business. Yeah. And to get visibility and to stand out and be noticed, because that's that's all really important. And that becomes hard when there's so many people coming in and these new people and and it's, you know, reducing your prices and they're doing it for dirt cheap. And then that really makes it hard for us. So, uh, yes, I have noticed these things that you're talking about. I have experienced them and uh, it's it's really frustrating. Um it, we have to work so much harder for, yeah. um, for less money. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, that's real. That yeah, real. no, it does real. And I like people come into sex work and there's a lot we go through mentally, emotionally, every aspect of sex work that you're in and people just, at first they're making money and they, I don't, I feel like also the days of somebody taking somebody under the wing and guiding them. That's kind of, it's a little bit lost too as well. Cause I, I don't know my generation, when I was started, I listened to the, the oldest, smartest person that I knew. And I found mentors in different aspects of my sex work career. And I listened to them. And I, I, you know, Tara, for instance, Indiana, uh, she's a wonderful mentor, wonderful educator, to um, somebody I listen to, I will stop and listen to, I will stop and make a point. Um, but I've noticed this new generation, they know everything. I feel you. I, and, and they're not, it's not giving credit or whatever. It's, hey, listen back. And, and it was kind of nice. I was talking to a younger girl and we were talking and she goes, I'd love to connect with you and just here's, you know, like, and I was like, finally, a younger one listening to me, taking notes, finally. But she actually talked to me and she shared with something with me that kind of opened up my mind. And it was a very nice conversation. Um, and again, she's, you know, she's young, way younger than me, but she's been in business for seven years. And I think uh, to have longevity, you do have to stop. You do have to get education. And you have to, you know, go to your men, go to people that have been in the business longer and not be afraid to ask questions. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, it's I've noticed that also and um it's just made me kind of almost broken hearted, right? Cuz like I I feel the same way as you. So when I was younger, like in my 20s, I remember um <clears throat> performing and modeling and like I had super big crushes on like some of these older performers that were so beautiful and so hot and gorgeous and dominant and they you know knew what they were doing and they were running these shoots and I was just in awe you know and I wanted to be around them and I wanted to learn from them and yeah. so had the utmost respect and I just wanted to be close to them and will they let me be close to them you yeah. know and uh now that I'm that age um I feel that these young people are trying to give me advice they're trying to <laughs> tell me what to do and they're and I'm just like whoa this is <laughs> what I was expecting um, yeah I 
I, I thought I was the only one, but the same feeling of finding somebody that has got more education or more mentorship than you. And yeah, I look up to them. And now the younger generation is, is it's just different. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's extremely different. Um, I mean, the, well, the world is changing so fast. Yeah. Yeah. So I, and then it's influencing these uh, young minds uh, to also change really fast. And I, I see that. And so they're learning all of these new things with the world that's changing really quickly. And so they think that they know everything and they believe that they're right. And I, I've been wondering lately, like, there's just this change in language and there's this change in perception of the way things used to be but now they're not this way now they're this way and they have to be said this way and they have to be done this way and this is the correct way and you old people are wrong and and I'm like but are we wrong or is it just a matter of perspective because you know you learn this in like um therapeutic sessions like to uh choose like uh your perspective it's about perspective and like why does it have to be one or the other like can it be about choosing a more positive perspective and so I just feel like I'm being called out by these young people like (laughs) no you're wrong oh I've been I've been called out before I've been called out and 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 it's like kind of like huh like yeah and and it's like but you you know could you take a moment to consider like where I've come from and you know where where how I've been influenced as a human being and you know it doesn't make me wrong it it just makes me um a, a different compilation of experiences so, and that doesn't make any me wrong or anyone wrong. And, and I think that that's lost. That's not even considered. It's just like, yeah. nope, you're old and you're wrong and your ideas and where you came from is irrelevant now. And it's not irrelevant. It's, it's all the things that makes me who I am. And uh, to not have that be considered or to be respected by those who are younger than me makes me feel kind of crappy. Yeah, yeah. We we didn't, we didn't dare do that. We didn't dare. No, no. We were like loving when we would have somebody, and they were in our presence. You know oh, what I'm saying? Absolutely, absolutely. That's exactly how I felt. Like yeah. totally in awe, just like so excited to be in the same room with them, and so. uh yeah, it's, I just try to take a deep breath and um, try to have you. grace and, um, you know, yeah. make sure that I don't take it personal, you know. Well, thank you so much for coming on Get Schooled. Can you please let my listeners know how they can find you, where they can find you? Absolutely. Yes. yes. So uh, currently now I have a, uh, I've always had jewelmarceau.com. So that was my very first website that I launched in 2000. And so I still have that website. It has gone through many changes over the years. Uh, so right now I have, I'm reserving that website for just all of my archive content. So I am aware and I realize that you fans and uh, admirers and customers love my old archived bondage damsel and distress fetish work. And I don't shoot that kind of content anymore, but you guys love it. And I can't deny that or kick it to the curb. So I've got it there for you guys. Um, it, it can also be found on uh, my clips for sale store, 5858 um, Jules Treasures. That's also all of my um, archived old bondage uh, movies, uh, clips, uh, customs that you can find um, that you all contact me sometimes and are like, I'm searching for this XYZ specific little thing. So um, that's where my old work is. 
you know, my new content where I'm shooting all of my femdom, my current uh, video work, I'm uh, placing that on OnlyFans and on loyal fans. So that's where you can find um, the uh, new me in, in which I am posting current relevant content. So if you want to see what I'm doing now, up to date now, um, that's where you can find that kind of content. Uh, also uh, on Clips for Sale store um, 28236, I'm putting uh, my phone down content there as well. And uh, you can also follow what I'm up to on Twitter at MS Jewel Marceau, at Ms. Jewel Marceau. And also the same handle is at uh, Sex Panther. And also, uh, I'm on Facebook and uh, Instagram. They keep shutting me down all the time. So oh. I changed my profile a few times. So it's different. Yeah. It is. Uh, Twitter's the best. Twitter's the best. Yeah. They, they've shut me down too, but uh, yeah, um, so, um, but I think it's good because I don't, I can put up um, naughty content there. I don't have to worry so much about like, you know, if one pubic hair is showing that are they going <laughs> to shut me down, like that's not going to happen. But um, anyway, Instagram is Jewel Marceau LA Pro Dom, if you want to follow me there. And um, I think those are all of the sites that I can manage at the moment. I'm selling a lot of my um, memorabilia uh, from the 28 years that I have been a bondage and fetish model. I have saved like my costumes, my gear. Uh, I have a lot of like gags and things that like I've accumulated and I've saved it. And I honestly, I can't save it all like, or else I'm going to have to buy a new house or bigger house, <laughs> a new, bigger space. So if you like these things or you see it in a, in a video or a movie that I've uh, produced, uh, just contact me and I probably have it. And so I'm selling those things and also worn items. Um, those are all the places where you can find me. And uh, if you would like to book a session, please email me at jewelmarceau at yahoo.com. I also have an all my links dot com uh slash msjewelmarceau.com so anything that i've forgotten or didn't mention right now you can find it there at all my links so all right well thank you for coming on get schooled